Welcome to the Find Biometrics and Mobile ID World podcast. I'm your host, Peter Counter, and I'm the managing editor of both Find Biometrics and Mobile ID World. Readers of Find Biometrics will know that May is On-Device Biometrics Month, a five-week deep dive on the authentication paradigm that's killing passwords. And that's why, in this episode, I'm sitting down with David Benini, Vice President, Marketing and Product at AWARE. Our conversation starts with how biometrics are killing the password, the FIDO Alliance, and the role that standards play in the proliferation of biometrics. We pivot to a broader discussion on biometrics in the workplace. AWARE recently published a new white paper, Enterprise Security in the Age of Remote and Mobile Work, and we talk about how both on-device biometrics and server-side biometrics enable efficient and safe work. Our discussion touches on liveness detection too, and looks ahead to what lies in store for the biometrics industry, ending with some fun future gazing. So without further ado, I present my conversation with David Benini, Vice President of Marketing and Product at Aware, right here on the Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World podcast. Uh, joined today by David Benini, Vice President, Marketing and Product for Aware. Thanks for joining me today, David. Good afternoon, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. So it's on-device biometrics month at Fine Biometrics. And when we talk about on-device biometrics, inevitably, we talk about biometrics as a password replacement. And so with biometrics increasingly used in place of passwords for mobile authentication, what's behind this adoption push? We first saw it from Apple. You know, I'll call it the Apple effect. I think uh, in the industry, we had been thinking about it and talking about it quite a bit. But let's face it, it took uh, validation from a company like Apple to say, hey, yeah, this this really works. And once they did that, I think people trusted it more because they trust Apple and they realized how convenient it is and particularly on mobile, you know, so it's one thing on a, on a PC at your office or at home, you know, to deal with passwords. Um, it tends to be a little bit easier. At least I've got like a cheat sheet for my passwords, but on a mobile phone, you never know where you're going to be. And, and, you know, passwords is just not practical. So that was the, the first part. Of, of the push. I also think the products are just maturing so much. Um, you know, over time, you've seen lots of different vendors get into the space, offering a wide variety of solutions that, that, that work well, whether they be facial recognition or keystroke or voice or what have you. And, and part of that maturity process, I think, is this, this improvement of the algorithm performance. We, we heard from NIST somewhat recently about the leaps and bounds with which the algorithms are are improving from a performance standpoint. And that just means basically that the algorithms are able to avoid causing false matches and false non-matches. You know, so a false match being when that's the bad one. That's when we match to the wrong person, you know, potentially a bad guy, but also the false non-matches where a person is trying to uh, log in using biometrics and there's a there's and you're not able to match to that reference data which then kind of ties into convenience and user experience and I think that's that's another really important aspect of this and another area where the algorithms are really improving when you improve your algorithms you're also just improving the user experience because you're reducing the frequency of failures to capture and that basically means I can use my biometrics in a poorly lit place or a noisy place. It happens quickly. It happens 
even if I'm holding my phone in a different kind of position than normal. So, so all of those things are kind of are being addressed in various ways, such as machine learning and, and AI. So I think all of these things are coming together and, and really, you know, we're, we're seeing this industry mature in real time. And I think uh, we're going to look back at this period and say, wow, that was when biometrics for authentication became a, a, real, a real thing. Yeah, it's really interesting you're talking about the user experience and how I think that that really does tie in with what you call the Apple effect. Just the idea of people getting to use biometrics and uh, in their everyday life uh, lives. You know, we have the Find Biometrics Year in Review every year, and uh, you know, every single time the the top interaction point of everybody who takes the survey when it comes to biometrics is unlocking their phones. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. Are there other markets specifically that you see really helping with that push? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, unlocking your phone, we only do that about, you know, 80 to 100 times a day. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, you can see why people, you know, that would be important for people. There's a couple different ways I segment this market in my head. One is where we're looking at consumer facing applications. And this is the type of thing that you're you're referring to, I think, where people are just getting onto their phone. And then I also think about uh, employee facing solutions where we're really trying to improve security for employees. And they're kind of different different use cases. And then there's also, there's kind of the, the concepts of device native functionality. So you'll see like a, an Apple Face ID or Touch ID incorporated into the phone or whatever the Samsung equivalents are. I'm kind of an Apple guy. But the other application is is when we incorporate the software into an application, an actual mobile app. And that's where companies like mine are focused. And, and we're really addressing a market where delegating the the user experience and the security level to the device manufacturer doesn't really work for them. So the reason why you might incorporate this functionality into the app is because, well, first of all, you don't want the performance to be dictated by a device manufacturer. So your application might, you know, it's not a one size fits all uh, in, in this particular case. You're trying to do something, say, say you're, uh, you're a commercial bank and you're trying to put a higher level of security on very large transactions. Well, you, you probably wouldn't want to trust the, the same security levels that people are using to just access their phone. It also, when, when you do that, you're not having different devices provide different user experience. So you're really kind of taking ownership of that user experience and, and you can customize that and, and own it and brand it. So if you're a bank or an insurance company, these are companies that are all about security. You know, what, what is a bank? I, I, fundamentally, they're, they're a place where you securely store money. That's one of the things they do for us. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, security is completely fundamental to their brand. And so you might want to take ownership of that element of the of the branding and the user experience in your app and differentiate it from, from competitors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that sort of wide angle idea, all of these different ways that we can authenticate. You know, it reminds me of, you know, going back to the death of the password, you know, there are the new 502 standards that have been built in to all of the major browsers. And uh, as a password replacement, again, we're going to be able to see people authenticating with uh, these different biometric solutions. Do you see consumer use of passwords actually falling away in the next five years with this motion? Well, I, I think we all certainly hope so. And I think FIDO is giving that a 
a really big push. It's hard to um, underestimate the impact that they've had. You know, it's like um, the adoption is, is still in progress, but standards have always been a really big part of the biometrics world. And it's it's because it's important to the functionality of biometrics because you kind of have things happening in different places. You know, there is a client component and a server component. And whenever you have that, you need standards to to enable the marketplace. And so FIDO's done a really good job not only defining an architecture and the interfaces to these uh, subcomponents, but what, what that does is basically create a marketplace for these authenticators. So now, instead of having just big companies with access to the device manufacturers uh, or just the device manufacturers themselves kind of controlling the, the technology, you create this marketplace where lots of lots of companies can participate. And, and the other thing that FIDO's done a really cool job at is creating these performance specs and standards and even a certification program. So really kind of taking the whole the whole problem from soup to nuts, you know, so where, you know, yes, you can publish a document and pray that people follow it, but you know, by by adding the certification and the, the performance levels really has a has a big impact. The reason is biometrics tend to be really hard to evaluate. Uh, you need data. It's kind of a manual, messy process. It can be very subjective. You know, I, I almost, I don't know if the, the analogy is, is perfect, but there's like a, you know, the first three letters of biometrics are bio, you know? So mm -hmm. there's this element of this statistical element of biometrics, not completely unlike the healthcare field where things are just, things happen and you just don't always know why. And the, the performance of an algorithm depends entirely uh, on the data that you're using to test it, you know? So mm -hmm. people in the industry understand that, but on the outside, you know, people don't always fully understand that. And, and consumers of the technology really need to, to get a handle on this because you really have to know how the algorithms are performing and behaving in your use case uh, to ensure their proper use. And so what FIDO has done, to bring it back to FIDO, is they have utilized standards that have been worked on by experts in the field at ISO and, and NIST and said, okay, yeah, well, we're going to set up a certification program that allows uh, vendors to come in and, and have their products evaluated. And they did something that hasn't really been done before, which is set performance levels. So mm -hmm. they're not just saying, this is how a lab is going to test the algorithms, but your algorithm has to meet these these performance thresholds. They've even done that for liveness detection and or presentation attack detection, which is arguably even harder to achieve than matching and harder to evaluate than matching. Aware recently published a white paper uh, titled Enterprise Security in the Age of Remote and Mobile Work. And I'd like to talk about that for a bit. First, how has work changed thanks to mobility and connectivity? Well, I mean, I think one thing that mobility and connectivity does for an enterprise is is give you global access to talent that isn't dictated by your geography. You know, so so if I have a great idea and I start a company, but I happen to be in a in a remote location, or or my company is just based somewhere where I'm 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 struggling to find talent, I'm struggling to compute for talent. Mobility allows me to utilize 
professionals, regardless of where they're located or or what their work schedules might be, you know. So I think that's a big part of it. It's really as as companies um, continue to get more and more optimized and finely tuned, and I think to be competitive, it, this, it's this kind of thing that really can make a difference. So now we're we're accommodating different types of work as as our paper starts out with, and you know what that means. The problem with it and the challenge is that it opens up security holes. You know, it's it's a lot more challenging to try to secure your your assets when they're being accessed from within a, a building behind a you know a locked door. But if if you need to allow your your staff to access these assets from home or from Starbucks or whatever, you need to make some changes. And that's that's kind of where we're thinking about it. You know, we're really thinking about folks that are working outside the office. I mean, we've got virtual companies now that don't even have a central facility. The cloud is contributing that to that. Um, so, so what we're saying is, well, yes, biometric authentication is great for consumers and, and, and people uh, conducting finance on their phone, but we can also use it to help them get access to corporate assets more securely and certainly more conveniently. And the way we do that is it's basically a it's using your phone as a as a token and doing a mobile push that when you enter your username into a, a website, we push a message to your phone and prompt you to do some biometric authentication. And that could be multi-factor, it could be several factor over and above biometric. But we're using face and voice to authenticate the the person and allow them to log in to these assets without without using a password. Right. You know, there are a lot of benefits there. I mean, obviously just being able to add security to this like larger network, essentially of business without a centralized office. But um, I'm thinking how specifically are biometrics improving efficiency and security in the, in the workplace that you've described? Well, it really gets back to the flaws of passwords. So, you know, if we think about passwords and where they came from, I mean, these were conceived in the early 1960s and those types of networks and computing platforms, which, and and we've kind of passwords have kind of, you know, they've they've kind of followed us all the way to you know 50 plus years later. We're still using them in a much clumsier form because now um, our password isn't something that's six or seven. I'm, I'm guessing in the 60s, passwords were probably like a, a single word of you know, lowercase letters of six or seven letters, right? And today right. we're required to use all sorts of different characters and numbers and capital letters. I mean, the passwords are basically killing themselves. I mean, they've become so difficult to use. I, I have a negative experience with passwords almost every single day where I, I can't, you know, I just don't remember what I what password I try to be secure and I try to use different ones. I think we're all having the same experience. So by relying less on password, and we don't have to eliminate them necessarily, but I think by first of all making it harder for somebody to use a a fished password or a stolen password by adding these other factors, namely a phone as a factor, a biometric as a factor, a second biometric as a factor. We're also moving away from this requirement to store security data like passwords centrally where it can be breached. And so that was a big, big goal of on-device biometrics and FIDO in particular was 
to eliminate any any kind of large security data residing on a server that that could potentially be valuable. So as you as you know, like FIDO works essentially by conducting the biometric matching or the the authentication on the device, and really the only the only information needed on the server is a, is a public key, which doesn't have any value to a to a hacker. So I think that's that's really what what FIDO is all about, and I think what ultimately we're going to see the reason why we're going to see passwords go away, because finally, thanks again in part to efforts at FIDO to really start um, coming up with other different types of solutions that, that really work and work better and they're more secure. On-Device Biometrics Month is made possible by a sponsorship from AWARE. Learn more about biometric authentication and identity proofing and how they're enabling remote and mobile workplaces by visiting aware.com resources and downloading AWARE's new white paper, Enterprise Security in the Age of Remote and Mobile Work. And now, back to the podcast. Biometrics are, are stronger inherently than passwords, but uh, recently, actually I would say probably ever since Touch ID, this has always been part of the conversation, is presentation attacks against consumer devices specifically and consumer authentication, but this is a sort of a problem across the board with, with biometrics. And that sort of renewed this conversation about the importance of liveness detection and presentation attack detection. And so for the listeners, what is liveness detection and why is it so important? Presentation attack detection, liveness detection, spoof detection is really all about preventing a fraudster from using a reproduction of a biometric sample as if it was a live sample. So, so biometrics rely on the use of live samples, meaning from some aspect of your person in real time. So to the extent that a particular biometric modality is vulnerable to somebody using a reproduction, they they are uh, vulnerable to attacks. So it's it's kind of funny how liveness detection has evolved because when it when the discussions about it and the standards bodies originally started, it was it was really all about fingerprint. That was the primary modality that NIST was concerned about anyway, and that's why they were pushing it into ISO. They were worried about people in the passport lanes walking up to the desk with a with a rubber finger, you know, and evading mm-hmm. those really important searches that that get conducted there. But as you know, but back then facial recognition was kind of the dog of the three, you know, the three modalities in the race. You know, there was fingerprint, face, and iris. But what has happened, as I mentioned earlier, that facial recognition has become so much better uh, thanks to machine learning. It's really emerged as the leading uh, modality for biometrics and certainly for biometric authentication. The the problem with that is that it also happens to be the most vulnerable to spoofing because you can you can um, you can pass a match quite easily with a photograph or a video the algorithms are trying to do that they're trying to find a match uh, mm-hmm. so, so 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 they're going to match to a, a a face printed on a piece of paper or or in a in a video stream off of a television or a phone so that is completely unacceptable and facial biometrics as an authentication mechanism are basically a non-starter if you don't have really robust liveness detection. And not only that, yeah. um, you know, you're you're 
defenses are about just like any other security mechanism your defenses are about as strong as your weakest link in the chain so with your liveness detection with your attack detection you really need to be able to detect every possible attack that you can imagine and those include things like faces at least in the facial domain images printed on paper images on a screen of a tv or a phone three-dimensional masks hollywood grade masks like these are the things that customers throw at us and you need to be able to detect all of those and um, differentiate between those and a live image. So that's that's really what it's all about. Yeah, and how how specifically does Aware approach liveness? So so there's I put the approaches in two camps. Um, one is um, an active approach where you are relying on some interaction like a, some sort of challenge response with with the user such as a blink there's also a more passive approach that you're basically analyzing the image and looking for artifacts of that image that indicate that it is a spoof and i guess there's there's maybe there is like a hybrid class in the middle where the user certainly knows that something's going on but it might not be necessarily requiring them to do anything. So, and in those cases, you know, a, a fraudster could be gaining some information potentially about how what how the technique is working. So that's one one issue with those. So, so we do we do a little bit of everything to be honest, um, because there are some approaches that are just better for for detecting certain kinds of uh, spoofs. But we're primarily focused on passive approaches that use machine learning developed algorithms that are able to be trained to detect a photo on a piece of paper or a screen or a mask. Right. That so makes, that's, yeah, yeah, that's really where we're. And, that, and it's better user experience for kind of the reasons I said. One is you're not giving information to the fraudster about how to defeat it. And it's also not uh, requiring a user to do anything that he may or may not be able to do. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the user experience at that because obviously any sort of active active addition to the to the authentication experience does add friction to it. And part of the reason I think that facial recognition has sort of become you know the most prominent modality is because it's so frictionless. Like if you use if you use a face unlock on your phone, you don't even notice that it's there until it's not working. On that note, I'm wondering, what's the consumer end user experience for your uh, Nomi solution? So we are using uh, face and voice biometric modalities. Face is the primary and voice is a secondary option. And clearly face can be a relatively seamless and frictionless experience. But to my point earlier about allowing banks and, and stakeholders to kind of customize their user experience and the security levels. We have customers that want to add voice just because they want a, a higher level of security and, and performance. And so what we do there is is basically capture the facial image and the voice at the same time. So while we're prompting the user to say a passphrase with his voice, we are also collecting his facial image. And it really doesn't take any more time than just collecting a face or a voice and we're getting two modalities out of it. So it's a little bit more invasive in the sense that, you know, you're asking somebody to say something and not everybody wants that, but what you do get 
in return is about a, a 10x improvement in the biometric performance in terms mm -hmm. of you know uh, reducing the false match and non-match rates and you also get a substantial improvement in liveness detection in, in a couple dimensions one is you know so we're we're using facial liveness detection as well as voice liveness detection so on the voice side you also want to be able to detect recordings or synthetic voice, which you're hearing more and more about, and the ability of software to generate uh, synthetic voices based on machine learning-based algorithms. But we're applying ways to detect those two things. And you know, generally speaking, it just makes it kind of, again, like an order of magnitude more challenging for a fraudster to spoof a system where he has to now worry about not only a facial image to try to, to impersonate a, a victim, he also now needs some, some voice data. Uh, and he needs that voice data in the form of a passphrase. So it just makes the job of a fraudster that, that, that much more complicated. And, and again, getting to this point of trying to change the economics of a fraud and just make the, that return uh, for that fraudster much, much less and hopefully uh, persuade him to to move on to to other other other, <laughs> other various <endeavors>. activities. <laughs> yeah, find a new job maybe. Yeah, uh, but that is, I mean, it's a it's a really good point. You know, talking about especially you know if you couple that with the Fido centric uh, device centric side of things, it's like all of the work that you have to do do to to bypass uh, two modalities with liveness detection that are matched on a specific device the the return on investment uh on the fraudsters side is just it's not there unless there's something s extremely valuable yes. to be authenticated with so exactly. it does make a lot of sense yeah exactly uh we've been talking a lot about the authentication process but uh the white paper describes uses for biometrics beyond authentication you specifically talk about onboarding of customers and employees and i'm wondering how do biometrics fit in into that equation yeah so right so biometric applications fall in, in these kind of two categories one is this one-to-many search where i'm i'm trying to find a person in a database uh, and this other one that we've been talking about is authentication, where it's a one-to-one -one match, and we're basically confirming that this person is, in fact, the person that we have uh, on record. So when we're talking about the, the former, where I'm doing a search, in the process of identity proofing and onboarding, which is really about just confirming that we know who this person is by corroborating different sources of data, uh, a biometric search can be really useful. So we're hearing a lot more now about different ways to identity do identity proofing using data that, that's out there, private data, so names and addresses and birth dates and, and relationships and this kind of stuff. I mean, that data is, it works, but it's, it's private data and it's not always that terribly reliable or consistent. And that, that's what's kind of nice about biometrics. So in these cases, we can use biometrics to identify whether a person is trying to um, misidentify themselves, misrepresent themselves. So for example, that person might be in a database uh, already in a, in a watch list that, that says they've defrauded the bank before, or mm -hmm. this is an employee that we, we had and he got fired four years ago for, for doing whatever. So the idea with a biometric search is to assess whether or not we have encountered this person before. Another way it can be useful is to just prevent duplicate records. So 
hey, this person's in my database already. He's not a bad guy, but let's not make two records for him. Let's make sure that we 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 keep you know keep our our identity records clean. But it's also a, a, a mechanism of fraud. So a fraudster might be trying to create synthetic IDs. You know, he might have a hundred different identities that he's trying to use in a in a fraud scheme. Well, this this approach would would address that. Another angle of it is is identity proofing by having a person present their trusted credential like a driver's license and then to validate that that driver's license is in fact owned by that individual we do facial recognition between the live individual and their the driver's license to just say okay yeah this is not a license that you're borrowing from somebody else or a passport that you borrowed to get into the country uh, this identity proofing via biometrics really seems to lend itself to the service model, sort of the software as a service model. Is that the direction that you see it uh, remaining in? The way I see uh, software as a service is really making biometrics available, particularly for that type of application, like a one-to-many search, making it available to smaller and smaller organizations. Traditionally, I mean, who had biometrics? It was like the FBI and state police. You know, that's what's changing. So we're able to kind of now take this kind of functionality and capability, identity proofing or whatever it might be, and and make it available to smaller and smaller organizations. You know, biometrics as a service is really benefiting from all the other goodness that that other applications of software as a service come from, you know? So it's like getting to a, you know, a subscription model and as opposed to like a capex you know it's like opec operational expenses in place of capital expenses so less risk quick startup time and you know it's just um i i absolutely think biometrics are gonna are gonna go that way for, for all the, the the good reasons that other you know that the whole world's basically going to the cloud you know you think back what was what was biometrics originally it was a service from the fbi to state and local police i mean it's always kind of been a service and it it it's kind of going back that way to uh we're going coming full circle <laughs> it makes a lot of sense yeah and look what kind of customers do you think like I, you said it's being made available to smaller and smaller organizations but who specifically do you think this model is is right for well so we're seeing so a great example is is um a customer uh of ours in africa that was actually using it for patient identification in the healthcare space mm -hmm. so this is you know this this is a type of organization that is not going to really want to have to stand up their own custom biometric system and they they their their requirement is is not that terribly different than other you know, they don't really need a custom, highly customized system. So, you know, in that in that kind of case, that's that's an example of a company that, you know, they may may own. They're they're still pretty substantially, you know, pretty big system. You know, they could conceivably be testing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, you know, providing services to tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, but by doing it as a service, they just, um, you know, they don't have to stand up their own system. They don't have to know about, bio, they don't have to define what it needs to do. They, it's just much less risk. And again, getting to this kind of subscription OPEX model is just much more attractive for a smaller organization. Right. And how does that compare to the, like the biometric API experience? 
so yeah, we have kind of two flavors. So we we brand our biometrics as a service uh, with the name Indigo, and it kind of comes in two flavors. One one is that it it, it has these these offerings with turnkey solutions that are targeted for a particular use case. But then we offer Indigo API, which is which are essentially microservices. So so in that case, we still are, are running biometric functions on a on a server, but now the user is going to incorporate those into their own system. You know, these these web server, these REST-based web services into their own solution. So it's really kind of both are getting some so, so the first indigo is like the benefits of of like turnkey SaaS, and then the second is really the benefit of of an open rest service kind of environment just sort of wrapping up i want to spend some more time sort of talking about what you were saying about how everything's going full circle in this industry what's next for the biometrics industry you know i just it it's remarkable what's happened over you know my my career in this space um I I just see it really just becoming more mature and the technology working in a more seamless and frictionless way. I, I think for a long time we've talked about this idea of, of having biometrics that that work uh, in ways that are barely even perceptible to us, and I think that's a good thing, at least for certainly for authentication. I think that's that's less attractive in, in a you know in a, in a privacy concern but for authentication i think you want it to be largely invisible you know there are some benefits of being able to to be aware that the biometrics are happening there's some some uh, satisfaction when you're successful with your biometric uh, authentication mm-hmm. and that's that's a good thing but generally speaking the performance and the security just keeps getting better and it is it is still accelerating. the 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 pace of improvement, I believe, is still in, is accelerating. The machine learning is just pouring gasoline on it. The liveness detection is going to, you know, continue to get better. So I think that I think it's just going to become more of a. The better it gets, the the more invisible it's going to be, and and we're going to just see it everywhere. It's just going to become part of our, part of our everyday. Yeah, definitely. I think that I mean that that definitely checks out uh, with what uh, we're seeing. At Fun Biometrics, you know, we we talk a lot about the the satisfaction of having a little bit of friction, but personally, I I kind of wonder if that's going to fall away once we start getting used to the idea that it is safe. I feel like maybe it's just a confidence thing. Yeah, but, no, um, just, I I agree. I I think I see it happening. I think a lot of times we expect things to happen quickly, especially when you're in the industry. You see how well the technology works, but these things take time, and there's so many cases of that being the ca- being the, being the case. Yeah, drilling down to the more specific, uh, what's next for Aware? Well, you know, we've been in this space for a long time. We tend to take a long-term view. Um, we've got a very broad product set, and I think I just see us continuing to make progress on a few fronts that are important for us. One is certainly the mobile authentication. We got some really, really cool things going on there. Biometrics as a service, we're we're in a really good position to take advantage of that trend, in part because of our expertise in browser-based biometrics. So we have a really, really solid solution for that. It's deployed throughout the DoD in what is probably the, you know the largest browser-based enrollment project in the world. It's the largest employer in the world. And finally, our ABIS. Um, so we've had all these components for such a long time, and we've we've put these different components together, 
and and provided an ABIS that includes the most modern forensic workstation products on the market, really high performance algorithms, scalable, just really putting the most modern technologies behind it. So we're excited about that. So we've got our plates full, broad product set. We're trying to do a lot of things. We're still a small company based here in Boston. Everything gets done here, but no, we're, we're doing it. It's, it's happening. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Dave. For anybody who's listening and wants to get in contact with you or the people at AWARE, where can they find you? How can they do that? I would just come to AWARE.com and uh, send us a note. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks again for taking the time to talk to me and talk to you soon. This was great. Thanks so much, Peter. Bye, everybody. And that's all for our conversation with David Benini. To learn more about AWARE or to get in contact with questions from our conversation, visit aware.com. To learn more about on-device biometrics, head over to findbiometrics.com and read our special featured articles for the month of May. On-Device Biometrics Month is sponsored again by AWARE. Special thanks to Lagomrad for the use of our podcast music. I have been your host, Peter Counter, and until next time, own your identity. <laughs>